Good morning. I'm Lanny Penwell, and I'm filling in for Pastor Jared today. I was looking at the bulletin, and uh, I, had, I preached a, about a month ago or so, talking with Tabby in the church office, and uh, she asked me what I, what I wanted for a title, not for the sermon, but for my name. And she said, should I put Pastor Lanny? I said, well, I'm not a pastor anymore. And she said, well, how about Reverend? And I said, well, you know, in, in some uh, uh, churches, they have titles like the Most Reverend or the Highly Reverend. So I said, Tabby, just put the Just Barely Reverend. <laughs> but Tabby is a force to be reckoned with because this time, my name's not even in the bulletin. <laughs> so I had that coming. I would like to uh, speak to you this morning from uh, the Gospel of Mark. It's a long passage, which I'll read in a moment. Before we read it, um, I'd like to pray. Father, we thank you for this time, this moment. We pray that uh, you would please be pleased to let us preach that you would be close by your spirit, through your spirit, to our hearts, whether we are preacher or audience. And I pray this one thing, that we might see your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, more clearly, and that he might be more dear to our hearts as a result of looking at this passage. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're not going to be looking at chapter 8 of Mark, but in that 8th chapter, Jesus asked the most important question that anyone could ever answer or attempt to answer. He said to his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, bless his heart, he got a lot of things wrong, but he got this one right. And he said, You are the Christ. Matthew says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, I think this passage that we're looking at helped him to get a grasp and grip on that title, which is so true. But let me read this uh, passage. It's extended a bit. Starting with uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, after several several. Uh, parables that are here. He's been teaching all day. And it says, verse 35, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, he said, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear. 
and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Chapter 5, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly, not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, in his right mind. They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. They came to one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garment, I will be made well. 
and immediately the flow of blood dried up and the, she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see this crowd pressing around you? And yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing <clears throat> what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him, the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. for She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. There are four lessons in this passage that I've just read, and I want to share at least <clears throat> as my reading of this scripture what these four, uh, these four lessons are. The first lesson <clears throat> I'm calling Jesus and the Storm. Now, I had already said he was teaching all day. He's probably tired. And <clears throat> it was evening. They were going out in the boat. Now, I wanted to give you an idea of how, how big the boat was. From archaeology, we have a, a rough understanding of how, how big the boat was. So, I brought my tape measure down this morning, <clears throat> earlier, and I would say that it was probably about as long uh, from that speaker, just longer than the platform, from that speaker over to the other one, probably about that length. And then if you look around a bit, the rows in which you're sitting, about four rows would be the width of the boat, long and narrow, and... Uh, about four and a half feet deep, about the height of this podium. And that's where they catch the fish by net, and then the fish would go in the bottom of the boat. They were on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, which is a sea about eight miles wide, 13 miles long. It was no tiny body of water. It was fresh water, fresh water fishing there. 
and it was 700 feet below sea level. I mean, it is to this day. The Mediterranean Sea, <coughs> excuse me, Mediterranean Sea to the west, and there's desert to the east. They're going from west to east this night. The Mediterranean air would mix with the heat of the air from the desert and would cause storms over the water. So in that small body of water, the storms could be quite intense. But the storms were usually during the day. So if you were traveling the lake, you'd travel at night. It was not odd. In fact, it would be the common thing to do for them to cross at night. That's when the fishing took place on the lake. But very unusually, there was a storm. There was a great storm. So that the disciples, and there's plenty of room in that boat, they, a boat like that would hold 15 people, and so plenty of room for the 12 disciples and Jesus. They were afraid. Now, there were seasoned sailors in that group. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were all fishermen. They knew what it was like out on the water, but they were afraid. They thought they were going down. They thought they were going to die. Now, this is one of the hardest parts of the story for me to believe. Jesus is in the stern, the back of the boat, for all you landlubbers. That includes me. And he's asleep. He must have been exhausted. But they, they, they wake him up. They wake him up, and they said, do something. Well, that's a footnote in my Bible. <laughs> and I want to tell you what he did, but first I've got to tell you a story. In my household, um, we had certain things that the kids were not allowed to say. They were not allowed to say stupid. They were not allowed to say to each other, or especially to mom and dad, well, especially dad, they're not allowed to say, shut up. So one Sunday morning before church, we're trying to get ready. And you know, that's when the devil does some of his best work. Early on Sunday morning and in the car on the way to church. I heard a couple amens. Um, and the dog was barking. Our little yip-yap dog was barking incessantly. And I said, shut up, you stupid dog. <laughs> At church, and th that was the end of it. At, well, the dog kept barking, but anyway, uh, at church, we always had a sharing time during the service. And uh, I don't think Connor, my youngest, had ever said anything during that time before, but he was in the back with his hand raised high, and just out of honoriness, whoever it was that was leading that time, I'm seated near the front of the sanctuary, he said, Connor Penwell, you have your hand up. And he said, this, well, I got to tell you something about Connor. You know, have you ever, if you're a parent, you probably say to your kid, okay, use your indoor voice. Don't, don't shout, use your indoor voice. Well, Connor had no indoor voice. He had an outdoor voice and what we fondly refer to as his stadium voice. <laughs> and so in his stadium, of, stadium voice, he cried out from the back of the room, this morning, Dad used the S word. <laughs> Two of them. And as I sat with my face down holding my head, I was trying to think of what would people think I said. It was not good. 
But I think what Jesus said, it would not be a bad translation to say that Jesus spoke to the wind and the sea and said, shut up, be silent. That cleans it up a lot, doesn't it? Here is, we, we talked about this in our Sunday school class when I was in, about God's creation and that Jesus is the creator and he is the Lord of glory. What if he made the wind and the sea? They better listen, and they did. But here's the most interesting thing of this passage. It says the disciples were afraid, and after Jesus calmed the water, here are these 20-something guys, you know, they have you know, slug each other in the arm and slap each other in the back and play jokes on each other, and Jesus saves their life. What would you expect them to do? High five, hey, JC, way to go. Maybe someone would hug him. Um, you know, that's great. Thanks so much. What does the text say? They were afraid, but now the NIV gets it pretty well. They were terrified. Because they saw that this teacher that they had been following, this Jesus, he could do some miracles, and that was pretty cool. But he could command the wind and the sea, and they obeyed him. This is no ordinary guy. And they were getting a little better taste and vision of who Jesus was and is today. Jesus showed himself to have power over nature. What the fishermen couldn't do with all of their experience, Jesus could do with a spoken word. That's lesson one. Lesson two, Jesus and the demoniac. They're crossing from the west side of Galilee, Sea of Galilee to the east side. They land over there. Now, they've left Israel, and they're in an area. There's Jews living on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, but primarily it's, it's a Greek area. And there are ten cities. Do you catch that word, Decapolis? Isn't that a great word, Decapolis? It means basically ten cities. These are ten Greek cities that are there, primarily inhabited by Greeks. And he just is getting, I can imagine him getting one foot onto the beach, and here comes this demoniac, scary-looking guy. You know, if you saw him on the street, you go inside, shut the door, and bolt it. That kind of a guy. He comes running down and has an encounter with Jesus. And before I go any further, I want to answer a few questions. Yes, the devil is real. No, the man was not suffering from just a psychological condition. Jesus was defeating di demons, not curing mental illness. Can this kind of thing happen today? Yes. But remember this. Keep this in mind from 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Just keep that in mind. And I would want to say to you, this is October, and you're going to hear a lot about Halloween and all that stuff. Just want to say, don't seek mystical experiences. Just don't go there. And I know that's dangerous to say it. It's like uh, when you see a uh, don't touch a wet paint sign, what's the first thing you do? Let's check it out. But 
Ouija boards, occult movies, books, experiences, these are not for us. We need to just, just stay away. Focus on Jesus. If your kid wants to dress up like Spider-Man, as far as I'm concerned, go ahead, but none of this occult stuff. Okay, four reasons. I'm in the second lesson, but four reasons, uh, or excuse me, not reasons, four requests. You might call them prayers. They're, they're requests of Jesus. It's like a prayer request. So the, the first one is this guy's running over, down on his knees, he says, do not torment me. Now, I don't think this is the man speaking. I think it's the demon speaking. Do not torment me. They know that their future destiny is eternal torment. You can use the word torture, same thing. And he says to Jesus, don't torment me. He fears the wrath of God and punishment. The book of Revelation 2015 says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. But torturing the demons, torturing this man, that's what they were doing to him as he lived among the tombs, among uh, the dead people. But one thing about the demons, it's really interesting to me, note how they address Jesus. This is what they call him, son of the most high God. The religious leaders were calling him a blasphemer. The people who knew him growing up were saying, isn't this the carpenter's kid? Who is this guy? He's nobody. The demons know who he is. They throw themselves down, not in worship, but in humility before God. They know there's a God. In fact, one of my favorite Bible verses is Psalm 14.1 that says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You don't need to point this out to atheists, but it's nice to know. So he throws himself down, and he's talking to Jesus. And it's good that he did that, because the best he could do I don't think there was any salvation, nor did he seek it. But for us, this is what we should be doing. Seeking salvation and escape from the wrath that is to come. Because surely that will be our fate if we do not place our faith in Jesus. But there's a second prayer request. This is the strangest prayer request I've ever heard. And I'm, I'm willing to guess there's not one person in this room that's ever prayed this prayer they said to Jesus, send us to the pigs. Now, there have been many times when I've wished that I had pork inside of me. Oh, I love bacon. And, and all the men say amen. Uh, but I've never prayed to be inside a pig. But that's, they said, put us, you know, send us to the pigs. Now, legion is a word, it's a, a, a Roman word. It refers to 5,000 uh, Roman troops, or a big number. It could be more than 5,000 even, but it's a big number. And they said, we are legion, for there are many of us. The, this guy had a boatload full of demons inside of him. And they cast them into this 
herd of swine. And Jesus said, allowed this to happen. And uh, they didn't want to be unclothed. They certainly didn't want to go into the abyss for eternal torment. So they wanted to go in these pigs. And they went, pigs went crazy, ran off the cliff, killed themselves. Herd of 2,000. Brings us to the third request. Don't, don't torture us. Uh, send us to the pigs. And then there's another prayer request. This is not from the demons, but from the townspeople. They said, leave us alone. They wanted Jesus to go away. They wanted him to leave. That's verse 15 in chapter 5. Why would you do this? Why would you ask Jesus to leave? I, I, thought, of, I thought of one reason might be just that they had been trying to bind this demoniac. They had chained him. They didn't tie him up with strings. They had chains on him. He's breaking chains. He's scary strong. And they couldn't bind him. He'd break the chains. And they come and they see this wild man and they know who he is. And what's he doing? He used to run around naked, I guess, because he had clothes on now. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus and he's in his right mind. Wow. And they're probably thinking, if this Jesus can contain this wild man, what that the village with all of our people couldn't contain with chains and shackles, this guy must be even scarier. And they asked him to leave. But there's a more subtle reason as well. Um, reminds me of a story of a young man just finished up Bible school and He's from the east. He, there was a church out in the west in Logging Town, little little uh, town right on the river, and they asked him to come be their pastor. So he did, and he was really glad to be there, and he's learning what it means to be a pastor. And he saw the phenomena, the way they worked there. They cut down trees, uh, take, take all the limbs off and put them in the river, and they float down river to wherever the sawmill is for that company. And the way they sort it out is on where they cut off the tree, they put, they write or paint or maybe even engrave in the, in the end of the log their company's name, the people that own it. So they're floating down the river, and then when the people, they get to the log, logging area, they fish them out and saw them up and make lumber out of them. Well, what was happening in this little town is they were waiting for logs to go by, and they'd find a log that belonged to someone down the river. They'd pull the log over, cut the end of it off, and they'd, and they'd take the log. And, and they would get the lumber from it. So the, this young pastor said, this is not right. So he preached uh, a sermon on thou shalt not steal. And you know what happened? Nothing. And they were doing the same thing the next week. And so he said, I must not have got the point across. And boy, he gave him a real hellfire and damnation sermon on thou shalt not steal. The result, not a thing. So the next week, he wouldn't give up. He preached another sermon. And this sermon was, thou shalt not cut the end of the log off thy neighbor's 
log and put your symbol on it and take it to be your own. Then something happened. You know what happened? They fired that preacher. I'll give you another illustration, then I'll get it if I'm trying to get at. I was uh, past, a rookie pastor in a little town, and they had, uh, down in Florida, and they had a community service, and they would invite someone to come in and speak for the community service, and they usually get one of the newer guys in town. Now I'd been there a year, it wasn't my turn. But there's a guy who came, young guy, right out of school. And he was preaching away, and this is what he said. The people in my congregation would rather have me as their pastor than they would Jesus. And I heard that, and I thought, oh, man. Is this guy some kind of a narcissist? What's going on here? And then he went on to explain what he said. He said, because I can't see in their hearts, and I don't know their sin, and I don't know how to convict them. But Jesus could see right into their hearts and minds and know every thought, every desire, every sinful attitude that they had. So they'd much rather deal with me than Jesus. And I think perhaps that's what was going on with these townspeople. They didn't want Jesus to be around because he could control them. He could be in charge of them. And they didn't want that to happen. Well, that was the third prayer request, leave us alone. That came from the townspeople. Then here's another prayer request. This is from the demoniac. But the demons are gone. Not sure what his name is. Legion was the demon's name, the, the group of demons. But this guy, Jesus, is getting ready to leave. Now, isn't this interesting? He's getting back in the boat. He got in the boat, sailed all night through the storm, came to the east side over in Decapolis on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, casts out these demons, stays around a little while, He's getting back in the boat to go back over to the other side. Isn't that interesting? And this guy says, let me go with you. I want to go with you. That's the, that's the third prayer request. And you've got to think, man, that, that's fantastic. This guy gets a demon, demons cast out of him. Right off the bat, he wants to become a disciple. He wants to follow the Lord. Jesus said no. He wouldn't do it. And then he says, and here's words of Jesus that right now, in this place, we can all take to heart. He says, go home to your friends. Well, wait till I'm done preaching, okay, before you go home. <laughs> go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has mercy on you. Tell your family, tell your friends about Jesus. Now, here's the deal. At one point in my life, I thought maybe I'd be a great preacher. Uh, that didn't happen. I know you're all thinking, amen, Billy. <laughs> and we all have these kinds of 
visions of grandioso things happening to us. We, we want to maybe become a missionary or, and go to foreign fields, or we want to write a book or become a recording artist or lead music. Wouldn't it be great to be up here playing instruments with, uh, with the praise team? Wouldn't that be cool? But we can't do, uh, not all of us, we can't all do those things. But something we all can do is respond to that fourth request that Jesus answered by going to family, going home and going to family and telling them how much the Lord has done for us. Well, Jesus could do what the experienced sailors couldn't do in the storm. Jesus could do with what all of the community couldn't do with this crazy man. And now let's move to the third lesson. And I titled the third lesson, Jesus and the Diseased Person. The Diseased Person. Now, this lady had some kind of a blood disorder. King James says the issue of blood. She had an issue of blood. Uh, that is a blood issued from her, and I don't know, we don't know what it was. Some kind of a, a cancer or gynecological disorder. Don't know. But she probably had ongoing issues with pain. Have you had some nagging pain? Uh, I, I blew out a gallbladder once. I could hardly deal with it, and that was only for a few hours. Some of you have been dealing with pain for months, weeks, and months, and long time. This woman had this very pronounced medical condition for 12 years. It had other issues involved in it. Probably she was tired all the time. You know, she lost iron in the, in the blood. It just, you know, uh, felt weak. And maybe she had abdominal cramping. And, you know, I, I don't know how miserable she was. But it went on for 12 years. That's not all of it. This made her ceremonially unclean. She could not go ever. Could not go to worship. She could not enjoy the presence of God's people. You know, I was thinking about this COVID thing when we were not having services for a period of time, and I missed being with God's people, but one of the things I missed the most was communion. I really did, and I was so glad to, to participate uh, in a communion service again, to be with God's people and to worship and, and sing the glories of God. She couldn't do that. If anybody touched her, they would become ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and would have to go through the purification rituals, you know, and they would be out of it for at least a day, maybe longer. So people didn't want to touch her. There were no hugs. Honey, hope you feel better. Nothing like that. She was probably very lonely. She'd been to doctors for 12 years. It says, this is great. They, she suffered, well, it's not great, but it makes me smile. She suffered under the care of physicians 
for 12 years. This same account is in the Gospel of Luke, but when it comes to this part, he doesn't say that she suffered under physicians. Because you all know what Luke did for a living, don't you? Now, he was a doctor. So <laughs> he didn't mention that part. So this happens. We try. The medical profession does its best to figure out what's wrong and help you. And sometimes it does well. Sometimes it doesn't. As, as a newly, uh, uh, a new Virginian, uh, I found out that George Washington used to traverse these places. And uh, George Washington got sick. And if they, the doctors would have just let him alone, he probably would have lived. But they were doing all this bloodletting and, you know, leeches and all this stuff. And basically, that's what killed him. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Sorry. She suffered at the hands of physicians. And she was lonely. And she couldn't be with God's people. And it says she was out of money. Maybe this was her last hope of desperation. And it occurs to me, friends, being desperate might be the best thing that ever happened to you if it forces you to Jesus. So she's coming in. Here's this crowd of people. She doesn't want to be recognized because everyone's going to start yelling, get away, unclean, unclean. And, and she doesn't want to be seen. She kind of sneaks up in the crowd. Apparently, she thought she got away with it. She just, I don't have to talk with him. He doesn't have to lay his hand on me. He doesn't have to pray for me. If I could just touch his garment. Now, she had heard about Jesus. She knew some things about this great teacher. It might, she might have had some magical stuff mixed in there. I don't know. I'm sure she didn't have a complete understanding of who he was. <laughs> she thinks she's going to get away with it. She touches him. The virtue flows out from Jesus, the power that's in him. And he says, I felt virtue flow from me. Who touched me? And the disciples think he's being ridiculous. He knows he's not. And here's a clue for when you're reading the Gospels. Whenever Jesus asks a question, he's not gathering information. He wants you to think about something. Who touched me? And she owns up to it. And this beautiful response, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. And I wonder if those are two different things there. You were healed of your disease, but go in peace. Has Jesus healed her spiritually? We would say it today is, did, it, was she born again in that moment? Maybe, maybe. She, we know this, that she has been healed. Now, I want to take a moment here. Don't worry, I'll be done before noon. Um, to talk about healing, two questions here. I, I want you to recognize two facts. God does heal, but number two, he doesn't heal everybody. 
He might even heal you once, but not heal you a second time. When I talk about healing, I'm not talking about this glorious, marvelous, wonderfully made body that, that he's made for you. I'm talking about a supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit th that heals you. That's what I'm talking about here. The scripture to go to, the go-to scripture is James chapter 5. And if you are sick, if you are Ill, Ill and you want prayer, this is what you do. You call on the elders of the church. You're sitting there, you go, I'm not even sure who the elders are. Well, call the church telephone number, and, and uh, uh, my favorite secretary, Tavi, will fix you up. <laughs> and, um, but call on the elders. They'll get back to you. They'll set something up. And this is done quietly. It's not done secretly, but quietly. We don't make a show out of this. Just the opposite of the traveling faith healer. He's going to come to town, you know, get there and get up on that platform. No, that's not what the Bible says. The, it's the context of the local church. And I believe that God gives the local church every spiritual gift it needs to do the work of Christ that he desires. So you go to the elders, and they will pray for you. It might only be a couple or maybe all of them, but they'll, they'll make a point of getting together, schedules allowing, and it says to anoint with oil. They do that. What does oil represent in, in Scripture? The presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And it says right there in James uh, chapter 5, that uh, it needs to be done with the prayer of faith. Now, faith, the word, is used a lot of different ways in the New Testament, just the New Testament. Faith can mean the things that we believe, the body of belief. Uh, uh, the, we would talk about the Christian faith, okay? It can mean saving faith, that faith that we have when we come to Jesus and we repent and we follow Christ and receive uh, the gift of regeneration. And there's another kind of faith. I call it living faith. We, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's, so there's saving faith and there's living faith. And then there's a gift of faith. And I think that's what James is talking about, that there's, there can be a gift of faith, and that, and that faith will heal. Now, I had someone very close to me, a good friend, who had kind of a combination heart attack and stroke and serious physical and mental damage to him, and he basically was institutionalized after this. And he was, he was a real man of God. No one could explain it. We prayed for him. There was no supernatural healing. The church that, his, that they attended, and his wife continued to attend, started hearing murmurings and rumors 
See that lady over there? Her husband got real sick and didn't get healed because she didn't have enough faith and ostracized her. Dear lady and good friend of my wife and myself, look at, if you're going to blame somebody for not having faith, blame the elders. They're the ones doing the praying. <laughs> True. And if there's a gift of faith, and I don't mean just, mm, I'm going to really believe, but I believe it's a, a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God. If he gives that gift of faith, the person will be healed. That's it. He will heal them. Maybe instantaneously, maybe over a period of time, but they will be healed. And it also says, if the person has sinned, they should confess their sin. Now, this does not say that all sickness is the result of sin. It's not true. It's not. But some sickness can be caused by sin. And that needs to be forsaken, turned away from, confessed. Okay, that's my little lesson on my little add-on about the healing. Lesson number four, Jesus and death. Jesus and nature. Jesus and the demons. Jesus and healing. Now it's death. The sailors, with all their knowledge of the Sea of Galilee, they couldn't solve the issue of the storm. The townspeople, with all their attempts to control the demoniac, they couldn't control the demon. The doctors, with all their medical knowledge, wanted to control the illness. They couldn't do it. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus did. And we get to the fourth lesson, Jesus and death. Isn't it interesting that Jesus could have had the, the woman who was ill and, and might have said, might have come back to her later, but i got to go see this person, this little girl, 12-year-old, who's about ready to die. And he doesn't. Don't, don't predict what Jesus will or won't do. You know, did he know that there was going to be a storm on Galilee before they got into it? I think so. He led them there anyway. Yeah, anyway. It's enough to know. It's enough for us to know that Jesus loves us deeply and he'll meet our needs. He heals that little girl. They, they, they had the professional mourners. They, they literally would hire people to play instruments and sing dirges. And this guy was a leader of a synagogue. He, was, he had a lot of authority and a lot of uh, uh, affirmation, a, a lot of uh, fame in the village that they lived in or the city they lived in. So there probably were a lot of mourners, and Jesus calls it noise. That's not going to do any good. And he takes this, his three disciples, only three of them, and a mom and dad, and they go in, and they heal this little girl. And he just says to her, get up, little girl, and she gets up. So here, back to this question that we started with. Who do you say that Jesus is? 
You might get the right answer, but it keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper for the disciples as they get to know him better and better and better. Same with us. And they have setbacks along the way, and we will have setbacks along the way. There's a lot of fear. I titled this Fear and Greater Fear. There's a lot of fear in this passage. The disciples were afraid of losing their lives. The townspeople were afraid of losing control. The, the, the woman was afraid that maybe no one else could help her. Maybe this was her last chance. And of course, Jairus, he was afraid his little girl was going to die. And Jesus said to him, before they even got to the daughter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is greater than all these things. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, okay, that's a nice Bible story, but my marriage is falling apart. Or my best friend turned their back on me over a dumb thing. Or you might be thinking, I, I don't have enough money. I'm out of money. Or you might be thinking, why do I feel so alone? Maybe you want to give up. Maybe you lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost a job. What we need to know is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And he can meet all of our needs, whatever they might be. We can't predict in our lives what he will do. But we must follow him and trust him and in faith in him. And know, as you follow him year after year after year, you'll get a better idea of who he is and how great and marvelous he is as we follow him. Father, I, I do thank you for these dear folks here. And I pray your blessing upon them. I pray your blessing on this passage that we might know it better, take it to heart, that we might know Jesus better, and we might love our Lord more and more. Help us, Father, with the little problems of life or the huge monumental, monumental problems of life. Help us to be aware, to know, believe, and act on the knowledge that the disciples gained of who Jesus was that he is the Son of God, and he cares for us, and he will take care of us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.